Hello and welcome back to India Unseen, a chronicle of our road trips across India with our kids. Now this is the first ever road trip that we took which was way back in 2012 where my wife Ritika and I decided that we should explore South India, specifically Karnataka and parts of uh, the Nilgiris in Tamil Nadu. And we decided to take our uh, Skoda Yeti and head out to do so. The first leg of our journey was from Mumbai to Belgaum, which is a pretty easy 500 odd kilometer drive along NH47 from Mumbai. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Cut back to seven days before we were to leave and we were at dinner at uh, my in-laws house. And I remember my father-in-law looking quizzically at me over the rim of his whiskey glass. It was as if an alien had sauntered into his living room. And he just noticed me for the first time as I relieved myself all over his Persian carpet. Why go by car, he asks, totally baffled in between sips of the beverage. I mean, your daughter Avantika is not even a year old. We've only ever travelled by train or air for a holiday. Translation, are you demented? Who in their right minds picks up their 10 and 24 month old kid, hops into a car and goes on a 14 day, 4000 kilometer journey by road. This reaction kind of epitomized what we typically get from people. Thankfully, Ritika and I were on the same page as far as this decision was concerned. And it's been nine years since this day where we've done more than eight such road trips. If anything, each one has been more adventurous and fun than the other. Taking these road trips has been one of our best decisions ever. And now, it's akin to a pilgrimage that we look forward to through the year, waiting for December when we can head out for one more road trip. Anyway, coming back, D-Day minus one. Ritika and I were doing some last-minute packing of woolens. And looking at the amount of stuff she'd got, all I could say was, if you're sure about this, right? I mean, there could be a scenario that we won't come across a toilet for God knows how many hours and we may just have to go in the field. To give her credit, she just glanced at me, clearly lost in thought over which sweater to pack, the blue or the beige one. Relax, AT. So long as we're together, we'll manage, she replied. Her absent-minded response while she was looking at which sweater to pack reminded me when we were packing about a week or 10 days back. This is when we were having a planning session where Ritika, Bibi, uh, who's kind of an extended family member, uh, a Khasi tribal warrior, the children's nanny, governess, tutor, friend, nemesis, all rolled into one, who's now been with us since like forever. And of course me in attendance. After considering the opinions of all interested parties, the packing list was whittled down to something manageable. For the kids, two sets of thermals, Three sets of woolens, 10 round neck t-shirts and slacks, woolen caps and one blanket each, plus about 5 tons of wet wipes and diapers. I'm just kidding. Plus about 2 packets of diapers and wet wipes. For the adults, we zeroed down at about 5 round neck t-shirts, 3 track pants, 4 to 5 shorts, as many pairs of socks and underwear that we could lay our hands on, and a few caps to throw in. Add to this one light jacket, one heavy jacket, three shawls 
and we were set that's when ritika announced i'm not taking a chance with the kids food so she produced another list which comprised of one wok one frying pan one ladle one kg of roasted suji and sundry assorted masalas and other unidentifiable but allegedly portable solids for the kids i'm also taking two sweaters in case one gets soiled she announced as i looked on helpless after about 40 minutes of masterful tact and diplomacy we agreed on one sweater of course this agreement on the sweaters came with a caveat that if the existing sweater got soiled then we would buy one more from the local market of whichever uncivilized place we were stuck in so there we were finally it was time to leave i was up at about quarter to 4 and by 4:25 we bundled the sleeping kids in their respective blankets and shoved them into the back seat of the car they were still fast asleep when we pushed off by about 4:30 the dashboard showed the outside temperature to be a comfortable 20 degrees but by the time we got to the mumbai pune highway this had plummeted to about 10 or 11 degrees uh, or thereabouts you know there is nothing that beats the sheer bliss of driving this early in the morning the only traffic that you typically get is from trucks and they seem to be like the friendliest most well behaved chaps on the road it was almost like we were navigating through a dense forest with huge gentle elephantine giants lumbering along the way after a quick halt at the local kamats restaurant we continued on the highway connecting mumbai to belgaum crossing kolhapur satara and karad we reached our destination by about 12:30 in the afternoon this was way before our anticipated we spent the afternoon relaxing and preparing for the next leg of the journey which was mysore belgaum to mysore is about 537 kilometers as per google maps and takes about 10 or half hours the safer thing though is to take the longer route Google Maps says it takes about 11 hours. The reality is it is way better than the shorter route. Anyway, next morning we were up once again at 4. We done the smart thing of loading up the bags in the car the previous night. So all we had to do was bundle the kids in blankets again, shove them in the back seat and off we were. We left the Ifa hotel by about 4:30 and headed southwards on NH48 from Belgaum to Mysore. In about 10 minutes everyone in the car was fast asleep again which was brilliant the dashboard temperature read a very comfortable 9 degrees centigrade and we hummed along at a comfortable 130 odd kilometers per hour now the yeti has been one of the better cars that i've driven it's extremely well balanced with superb handling and impeccable road grip even at speeds of about 150 or 155 kilometers per hour which is not the safest thing to do but you tend to get a little carried away on open roads she doesn't seem ruffled or perturbed at all in fact that's when she really seems to come into her elements because the car just crouches down grips the road you can hear the low growl of the engine as she just zips through anyway going on there seemed to be a bit of a jam up ahead at about 5:30 in the morning i guess the perennial road repairs had caused the jam and it being pitch dark outside i could only make out the shape of the trucks as they ambled along i slowed down from about 130 to 90 kilometers and started overtaking him from the left that's when ritika mumbled in her sleep what happened ati why have we slowed down 
Now, if you ask me, I can't think of a better vindication of the car's stability and performance, where a speed of 90 kilometers seems to be like slowing down to the co-passenger. By 8.30 or so, the denizens of Yetiland rose from their slumber. There were assorted shouts of glee at the beautiful scenery outside, punctuated with whales to be fed. The only problem was that at Davangere, we had turned onto State Highway number 76 and left behind NH48. Other than a few small villages, all we passed were lush green farms, woods and natural beauty. No dhabas, no restaurants, no hotels. Nothing. By 9.45, I started getting a little worried. Suddenly, the prospect of not finding anything at all with two tiny tots in the car seemed daunting. I started kicking myself, proverbially of course, for not planning for this contingency. Honestly, Pratika, Bibi and I were starving too. I mean, after all, there's only so much of biscuits and wafers that you can eat. Just the second morning of a road trip and here we were, stuck in what seemed like no man's land, somewhere between Belgaum and Mysore. The icing on the cake, any villager or passerby we came across spoke only Kannada. That was a language that of course we didn't speak, with me speaking only English, Hindi, uh, a bit of Marathi and Punjabi, and Ritika speaking English, Hindi and Punjabi. For all I know, we, that is us in the Yeti and the restaurant looking for a custom, could have been like two ships looking for each other at night in the vast oceans during the pre-Rera days. We would have passed restaurants multiple times within hailing distance, but just since they weren't on the main highway, we'd probably be blissfully unaware of their presence. Eventually, we came across a small village near Channagere. Deciding to take a wager that there would be something to eat over here, I drove in and came across three gentlemen and a newspaper arguing the finer political point by the roadside. A closer glance revealed that the newspaper was printed in English. I heaved a sigh of relief. That meant at least one of these blokes spoke the language. I pulled over and asked them if there was a hotel of sorts that we could use in their village. They deliberated with each other for a couple of minutes in Canada. Finally, one of them, apparently the spokesperson, told us that there was no hotel in the village. However, there was a government circuit house which we could try and get into. The other two nodded sagely. Clearly, they were indicating that they had discussed it extensively and in their collective wisdom, the best thing for us to do would be to try the circuit house. We said our thank yous and proceeded towards the much sought after circuit house. After having left Belgaum at 4.30 hours and a few hours yet to go before we got to Mysore, we sorely needed a break. This joint turned out to be a pretty largish place. If you've ever travelled across the smaller towns of India, you find that they're pretty liberally dotted with circuit houses. These are uh, nothing more but government guest houses, pretty well appointed with great infrastructure. But of course, unless you're a government official or on government business, you can't get into one of them. This particular one was a single-storied building. Uh, actually, it was several single-storied buildings scattered around the compound. They even had a quintessential water tower in one corner. One thing was for sure, we wouldn't be wanting for water if we managed to talk our way in. 
I got to the gate and flashed the lights. No response. After vigorously honking for about a minute or so, a curious guard came running over from wherever he was. He was probably wondering what in God's name is this weird looking SUV doing in his neck of the woods without so much as a buy or leave. I tried my best public sector Bada Saab impersonation and impatiently waved him off. The poor man had opened the gate wide enough in his haste to come and see who was in the car. Imperiously, I drove through the gate with our friend gesticulating wildly as he came running behind us, shouting something incomprehensible. As I drove in, I saw a largish structure that looked like a bungalow of sorts and stopped right next to it. There happened to be a banyan tree right outside the structure and another chap who was lounging under it sauntered across to us. Meanwhile, of course, the guard had also reached us, panting from his unaccustomed exertions. I asked everyone to stay put in the car as I got out. With the most friendly smile I could muster, I asked the two blokes if we could use the facilities for a bit. Of course, they didn't understand Hindi or English, but thankfully they seemed to be getting the gist of what I wanted. The guard seemed peevish at being outsmarted by me getting the car into the compound, and he was in no mood to entertain us. Only government, he kept repeating angrily. Evidently, he was trying to say that unless I'm a government servant or a politician of some sort, the place was out of bounds for me. I tried convincing him that I'm a pretty important person where I come from. I mean, I'm not kidding. Everyone in my housing complex knows me. I even attempted intimidation, saying that his bosses will be seriously pissed off if they find out he refused me a room. Didn't work. I tried sympathy next, pleading that we were driving from Belgam to Mysore, had little kids in the car, desperately needed to use a bathroom, uh, freshen up, but he simply refused to budge. Meanwhile, Ritika had alighted from the car and was getting together some stuff from the boot. It was the toiletries as I later found out. Anyway, before I could react, she commanded Bibi and the kids and proceeded towards the bungalow that we'd parked outside. It turned out the doors to the cottage were conveniently unlocked. And before our friend the guard could say anything, she had pushed the door open and walked in like she owned the bloody place. Our friend went into an apoplectic fit. I guess he was trying to tell me, go stop your wife, she can't be getting in. Well, actually he was pointing vigorously at her and saying, no government, no government. Uh, which meant that she's not the government and she can't be going in. I just looked at her and my best Soto voice told her, she may not be the government for you, buddy. For me, she's the only government I know. You've got a problem with her, you go and stop her. I have no interest in getting my ears chewed on an empty stomach this early in the day. And don't come back whining to me after she's done with you. For once, the guy had absolutely no comeback. I'm pretty sure he didn't understand a word of what I'd said, but the expression on his face said it all. I mean, if you're married, you know, when your wife is set to do something, there's nothing that's going to stop her. And any married guy can identify with that. I felt sorry for the poor guy looking at his face. Anyway, this seemed as good a time for a smoke as any. These were the days when I smoked cigarettes, so I took one out from the pack in my pocket and offered it to him. He seemed mollified by the peace offering and asked for one more, which I happily gave him. I then pointed to his pack of beadies and asked for one. He instantly extracted the beady from behind his ear and offered it to me. I politely declined, saying 
Buddy, I'm sure the heady mix of stale hair oil, dandruff and rancid earwax that have added a sublime layer to the fine blend of tobacco on your beady is outstanding. But I'm yet to reach that level of finesse required to truly enjoy that beady. Can I please have one from your packet instead? Again, he of course didn't seem to understand a word of what I'd said, but he didn't really care and happily proffered his packet to me where I extracted a couple of BDs from. I produced a lighter and lit the BD up that he'd happily shared with me. My newfound friend, of course, had extracted the BD from behind his ear and stuck it in his mouth now with the space occupied by the two cigarettes that I've given him. He bent forward for me to light it and both of us smoked in companionable silence as the third guy went back to his tree to continue his nap. Once done, I handed him a couple of hundred bucks which he graciously took, looked me in the eye and said, one hour and walked off. I guess he'd given me an hour for us to do our thing and get out of the place. Now, As I went in, I realized this was a pretty well-appointed two-bedroom bungalow with a very comfortable sitting room. It also sported two huge bathrooms with English-style toilets, running water, uh, which is not a surprise given the water tank uh, within the premises, and it was spanking clean. We all freshened up in about 45 minutes or so, got back in the car, waved to our new found friend, I gave him a couple of cigarettes more, and we headed out to find the village restaurant. Now, finding the only restaurant in the village wasn't difficult. I mean, the whole place seemed to be one large street running parallel to State Highway 76. And at the end of it was a beautiful little quaint dhaba called Annapurna. It seemed like a nice enough place and we sat down, the only customers, as the guy behind the counter gave us a friendly smile. There was only one person to serve and he spoke no other language other than Kannada. But that didn't really matter because Idli and Dosa are the same no matter which tongue you speak it in. We soon got the most amazing tasting dosas and idlis with fresh coconut chutney and fiery sambar. Bibi and I dug in with relish. Both the kids refused to even touch it. I of course didn't speak Amantika's language, so I didn't know what her issue was with the fare. But Aditya wailed something that sounded like halwa. Clearly, Idli and dosa wasn't cutting it for him. Coaxing from all quarters bore absolutely no result. Now, Ritika was still warmed up after her encounter at the government-only joint. So, she walked to the car and came back with her uh, roasted suji and some other raw materials. She signaled to the sympathetic owner if she could go to the kitchen and make breakfast to the kids. The guy just sweetly smiled back and nodded. In hindsight, I think he was more than a little amused with what these morons from the city were doing here, clueless about most things. Anyway, she went into the kitchen as I started digging into the children's share of the Idlis. I mean, they were pretty explicit that they wanted to have nothing to do with the Idlis. So, what the hell? I figured there's no point in them going waste. Once I was done, I thought, let me peek in and see how the cooking was coming along. Now, Ritika was preparing some upma in the restaurant's kitchen. And the other staff, with some random assorted villagers, all stood around her. They were watching what she was doing and critiquing it amongst themselves. Some would nod approvingly at a deft use of some masala, while others would animatedly discuss the merits of adding some other condiment. I mean, to me at least that's what they seemed to be doing since I couldn't understand a word of what they were saying. But all in all, it was a pretty hilarious sight to see her going hammer and tongs at the wok on the flame 
while everyone around her had their own piece of criterion to do. Not unlike uh, a tennis match going on at Wimbledon Centre Court. Soon the kids were fed, the bills were paid. The proprietor of course refused any money for the dosa and at least that the kids didn't eat, no matter that I'd finished them, which I think was really sweet and representative of India's rural hospitality. Like I said, we've been doing these road trips for about 10 years now, going to the farthest nooks and corners of the country. And I never cease to be amazed at the sheer warmth and hospitality of the people that run these small joints. By 12, we were well back on our way from Belgaum to Mysore. Now, the rest of the journey was a breeze as we listened to some Pink Floyd and Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and other brilliant music, passing quaint villages like Gandasi, Udayapura, Shravana Belagola. Uh, of course, Shravana Belagola is known for the massive uh, Bahubali Gomateshwara temple and is a popular Jain pilgrimage, and a few other villages, eventually getting to Mysore by about 6.30 in the evening. Considering we'd left at about 4 in the morning, it had taken us close to 12 and a half hours to get here. All in all, a journey which was fraught with stuff that could have gone wrong. But thanks to our stars and thanks to the hospitality of the brilliant people of India, we'd managed to get to our destination without a scratch. So do tune in for the next podcast where I'll walk you through the next leg of our journey which is onwards from Mysore. And of course, I'll also share with you a quick review of the place that we stayed at while we were in Mysore. So you can add it to the list of places that you may want to visit if you ever happen to be in that part of the world. Take care, be good, and I'll see you for the next podcast.